Hey folks, welcome back to another bonus episode. Um, I thought I'd put this together really quickly. I love bringing in experts on stuff that I'm trying to learn or pick up or have stuff that y'all ought to know about. In this case, and I think I've been talking about this for a few weeks on the podcasts, um, but I decided I wanted to learn game dev. I've, I've got a 17-year-old son that wants to be a game developer when he grows up. Um, and uh, yeah, he's just so into it. And then um, I've got some neighbors and friends who, you know, they're trying to up their Unity game. And I, I started looking at it and started getting inspired by it. And so, you know, I've been talking about, hey, I'm going to start doing kind of a meetup or mastermind every week, um, you know, just for whoever wants to come and talk building games with Unity. And the course I'm taking is a course by my friend Jason. And so I thought, you know what, let's get the expert on, talk a little bit about what it's like to build games, what it's like to learn how to build games, you know, get some uh, ideas around it. Um, now, Jason's already given me a discount code for, for his course. I'm not going to hard pitch it to you, but we'll give you the discount code. So if you want to take the course, you can. Um, and then uh, I think that's probably the best bet because then you can follow along with me where I'm at. So uh, anyway, Jason, do you want to just introduce yourself, let people know who you are? You've been around before, but I, I thought it'd be great just to let people know who you are and what you're doing, and then we can talk about game dev. Uh, sure. I think first, I, I was just really excited that you've got a 17-year-old that now wants to get into game dev, which I think is the perfect time to dive into this stuff. So I, right. I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. But I've been doing game development, I think, probably since I was like, well game development since I was like 12, making my own little stuff on my Commodore 64 when I ran out of games. And then eventually, <laughs> nice. found, yeah, eventually I found myself in professional programming, doing a little bit of software stuff at Intel, and then found and kind of stumbled into a game development job at Sony. Spent a very long time working on MMOs at Sony, and then uh -huh. did a long stint building mobile games and a whole VR company as well after that built a ton of games and now i'd mostly just talk about game development on youtube and kind of help others and teach other people how to build stuff and i get to meet and see a lot of people who've built all kinds of really cool stuff i actually have cards of a, a couple different developers that I, I ran into at gdc just a couple of weeks ago who mm -hmm. are all building out their own games and a lot of them are students or just like one of them's for, this this guy is a new out of college building with a bunch of college students uh, another one mm -hmm. of them had just built a game he went through high he started in high school released it in college and he's got thousands of overwhelmingly positive reviews on steam and it's a huge mm -hmm. success um it, it's a lot of fun it's definitely the, the thing i recommend if you're getting into software i mean so i think all coding and programming is fun to be honest like i have fun with all of it but mm -hmm. game stuff i feel is it's it's a lot more fun because you get to see the excitement and the joy on people's faces and the um there's a lot less of the anger and frustration i've done a lot of enterprise development as well i spent like i said spent some time at intel um quite a while at qualcomm and a couple other places doing more of the business stuff and while it's interesting you get to solve some fun cool problems Nobody is ever really excited. Nobody is ever like super excited right. that, hey, we got this KPI up from one level to another, or hey, we um, just added this new API that, you know, makes things a, a little bit easier or, you know, supports this new phone or something. Some, some people are like, oh, that's cool. But when it's games, people are, you know, jumping up and down excited. Everybody is calling and, and sending you mm -hmm. messages and emails and making posts about how fun it is and how excited they are about it. Um, 
You know, you don't get that in the business environment. <laughs> right. Well, it's it's interesting for a couple of reasons. I mean, for me, um, I mean, part of it is is stories, right? I love telling stories, right? I mean, heck, that's why I got into podcasting, really, is, you know, I was listening. I was listening to people tell their stories and, and you know, and I, I kind of feel that and I live it. And I, you know, I don't know how to describe exactly what it is, but there's something about stories that just light me up. And so then it's, okay, well, now I can create a story, right? I can take somebody on a journey. And, um, you know, for a long time, it really felt like, okay, well, you know, I'd go play like a, a StarCraft or, um, you know, I'd go play one of the um, first-person shooters or I'd go play one of the um, MM, MMORPGs, you know, one of the, the big ones. Um, and, you know, it's like, how do I create this wide world of things? And it felt so overwhelming. And then it seems like over probably the last 10 years, and especially over the last maybe four or five years, it seems like people have really been able to build their own indie games and, you know, through Steam or other places, they're able to create these just really interesting, fascinating ways that you can explore a world. And whether it's, you know, something like a, a tower defense game, right, where you're really not, you know, the, the story's kind of outside of the gameplay or whether, you know, people are like moving through a level and experiencing something there. It's, it's just been really interesting to see. And it's like, okay, well, you know, and, and we've interviewed some of them on some of our podcasts and I'm going, these, the people we're interviewing, you know, and, and this isn't to be offensive, but you know, it's not like they're wildly talented. And so they, you know, they can do what these giant companies did It's that the, the tooling and the, the availability of a lot of this stuff has just come to the place where you can create a terrific immersive game you know, with a handful of people. And yeah, if you want to get more expansive, you probably need more people just to get all of that work done. But, you know, you can create a solid indie game these days on your own. Yeah, it's totally changed. It's, I think of when I wanted to get into game development back in the, the 1900s and uh, was looking at <laughs> the Torque game engine and Unreal, you know, you could use right. a little bit of the, the tooling, but most Point of the three. options... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the options engine. required a million dollar investment up uh -huh. front and like a, an actual plan, a, a big thing to do. So it was very, very difficult to get into. And then I think you kind of nailed it about 10 years ago or so. Um, Unreal and Unity really started to compete. It, it was shortly after, I think, what happened with iOS. So the iPhone mm -hmm. came out. Uh, Unity was the first one to support it by, I think, almost two years ahead of just about every other game engine, and they were really quick to it, too. So it got a huge adoption and became super popular. And mm -hmm. because there was a free version available, it made it so that they were getting even more and more popular. Then Unreal realized what was going on, that you know they weren't getting the developers trained up as fast, and a lot of them were switching to the competitor because in college you could just jump over right, and free. actually use yep. this engine for free. You didn't need to have this thing. And they switched over to like a $5. I think they had like a $10 a month, then a $5 a month, and then switched to, to free as well. So now everybody has a, a free version of their game engine that you can use to pretty much build the entire game. The special things in the upgraded versions, um, there are a couple unique scenarios where you would want to use or need some of the things in there. Mm -hmm. But for most indie developers, um, you can. it's really just about the licensing and, and, 
know, once you hit certain revenue amounts, you've got to pay for some license. And uh, Unreal and Unity are both pretty much the same. They just deal with it differently. One is a flat right. fee and one is a, a revenue share. But yeah, right. it's gotten so easy. And the information available is vast too. There used to be mm-hmm. one or two books at the local bookstore or maybe at the faraway bookstore that you could get a hold of. They would teach you a little bit about programming a specific type of thing and maybe using a little bit of a game engine. And now there's unlimited resources on just about anything that you want. There's ridiculous numbers of videos, courses, um, and even AI stuff. I've been using AI to teach in my latest coursework stuff, just showing that you can use it to find out how to do all of the things that you can't find anywhere else or that you're having a hard time <laughs> with. You just run, run the questions through there and get the answers a lot of the time. So it's gotten, I'd say, a thousand times easier, and there's really no reason not to build a game right. if, if that's something that you want to do and you want to invest the time in there's no reason that you can't do it right makes makes total sense so one question that i have and you know i think you're aware of this is that uh i haven't done very much c-sharp programming and i know that you know c-sharp's kind of the lingua franca of unity right but at the same time it seems like unity is probably the most popular most capable most resources out there for game developers, you know, to build the kinds of games that I'm looking at building, right? And so we've had Amir Rajan come on Ruby Rogues and talk about Ruby Motion, and you can build some of the kinds of games that I'm looking at, but not all of them. And then the other one we, on JavaScript Jabber, we had somebody come on and talk about building like in-browser games with Phaser. But mm-hmm. again, you know, it's it's limited to a lot of those things. You don't have all of the 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 tools and engines and stuff that you get with with unity. So my question is, is do I have to be a C sharp expert in order to build in unity? Or is it kind of like when I picked up Ruby on rails, where I kind of picked up the rails way of building stuff and then learned the rest of Ruby later. It is a lot more like the, the second thing I'd say you do. If you have an understanding of programming and JavaScript, it's going to be brain dead simple. It's like writing simple code um, to do most things until you get to like the very big, more complex problems that you probably won't run into until after you've released your first game. Um, It's relatively simple C sharp. You can, of course, if you're better at C sharp and you can write better code, you'll, you'll be faster and you'll Mm -hmm. write more efficient things that are easier to deal with and manage. But Overall, I mean, at the core of Unity, you're writing scripts that are C-sharp, that are components that are getting added to game objects. So you've got this hierarchy of objects. You're adding these components to it that are just simple scripts that have built-in callbacks that get fired off when the object, like, for instance, when the level loads and the object becomes alive, or once per frame so that you can do things in a normal, like, game state where you have an update loop where you can do things like move your object around or um, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever types of data manipulation that you want to do. Generally, though, you're dealing with things like that update loop, the start event that's getting fired off when your object is Mm -hmm. created, or you'll get a callback uh, and a a method that will get called automatically when something does something like a collision. So if you want to know like how to deal with a bullet hitting you know, a block, you add an on collision enter method, it's automatically called, and you'll find all this stuff in the tooling and in the documentation. It's automatically called, tells you what object hit it, tells you what the direction and angle it hit it was, where the point is, those are all just parameters passed in, and then you just decide what to do, like tell a particle system to play by calling dot play, or destroy the object by calling destroy and passing in your object. It's relatively simple stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. 
it's largely about hooking up the logic and thinking through all of the things going on at once. The one main difference that um, I think makes game development a little bit harder is that you're thinking of all of these objects moving kind of at once, and it can get a little bit complicated when you have more and more things. You've got lots of enemies, lots of players, and all these systems all processing. It can get a little bit confusing versus a, a standard like a web workflow where you'll have a request come in, some things go out, you get your data back, and then you kind of present it, um, mm-hmm. or an enterprise one where you're doing something similar. So there's a little bit more to deal with going on at once, but when you're starting out, you, it's however many things you set up to run at once. So it's not really right. that complicated until you build it up to something that, that's more complicated. Right. So it sounds like it's mostly event-driven. Very much so. It's Well, it's event-driven and update-loop-driven. So there's a main update loop that's called every mm-hmm. single frame where you can do things. And th- there are actually a couple different parts of that update loop that you can call in at. There's one for physics. Mm-hmm. There's one for the beginning of the frame, one for like the end of the frame. But in that update loop, you can do whatever types of things that you would do that aren't event-driven. So if you have something that's not reacting to something else, but you know maybe it's reading input, you might read input in the update method and right. then apply some movement um, in, in there. So there are lots of different things right. that you could do there, but I don't want to go into a real complicated scenario. No, it's it's fine. I mean, what you're describing is not that different from what you get from like Node.js, right? I mean, um, they, they they have an event loop that processes, you know, triggered events, but it'll also do other events, you know, on its on its own loop. And so it's not, yeah, it's not outside the realm of what people are kind of understanding if they work in a system that, you know, runs on those kinds of events. Um, but yeah. So, so what, what, what do I need to do to get started? Like if I, if I decide, you know what, I've got this game idea, right? I've got this awesome idea where I'm going to, you know, make my little dude, you know, go on a journey from the Shire to Mount Doom or something. I don't know. Um, how, how do I start putting this together? Well, I think the first step is to just get the game engine installed. And I, again, right. still recommend Unity. Unreal is a great option, but I think it's a little bit easier to get started and learn Unity, especially for enterprise and web developers, because C Sharp is just mm-hmm. a, a direct allegory almost, and you don't have to dive into visual scripting or anything else. It's right. re- really easy to get into. But I would recommend, before diving into that um, dream game, of course, I, I always tell people, build like three to five small things. It doesn't have right. to be something huge. Like it can be Flappy Bird that you can run through a course and learn how to build in an hour, but go through and build at least a few different things and kind of get exposed to the different parts of the editor and some of the different uh-huh. capabilities while sense. you're building something that you don't care too much about that you can kind of run through, experiment with, and then go on to the next thing and then run through, experiment with. And then once you've got comfortable in the editor where you're not like fumbling around going, where's all this stuff? Where are the things that I need? Then then mm-hmm. maybe consider building something a, a little bit bigger. But I think that after three to five small projects, you get an idea of where you're at and what you're, what you're capable of. And you can kind of start, just keep building that up. And these don't have to take mm-hmm. a long time. That's the thing. Like, I don't think that you need to spend a year building up a bunch of little projects before you start building your thing. Right. But spend, you know, a, a couple of weeks, a few, at least a few weeks each on each thing. Um, and then maybe a couple months total 
building out some different things and trying out mm-hmm. different stuff while you're coming up with the idea and planning out your big thing. Maybe you can work on your big thing a little bit on the side, but it's a lot easier to make progress and learn if you're starting new projects and trying out different things and then making sure that you're not getting stuck on some big concept and big idea, at least at first. And then I think it's good to dive in once you've got that experience and start building out the thing that, mm-hmm. that you really want to make and think is going to be awesome. Yeah, I think I think that's been my experience with a lot of other technologies, right? Where you get in and kind of the, kind of the initial simple stuff kind of just works, right? You might run into mm-hmm. a minor problem here, a minor problem there, and you kind of learn how things sit and then how they interact. But yeah, then you start bringing in bigger ideas. And so, yeah, it makes sense that you would work through a couple of different kinds of applications or in this case games, right? To say, okay, this is... I understand now how this part of physics works or this part of whatever, you know, this part of animation, this part of, you know, movement or, yeah, you talked about collisions, right? And so, okay, now that I kind of have a feel for how this goes, right, then I I can start building out the more complex setup because the underlying pieces are now things that I know how to deal with. Yeah, yeah, you've got to get that. I think the base understanding and it doesn't have to take very long. It's a relatively quick process, I think, to, to mm-hmm. build stuff out. And the best part is that there are tons of examples out there already. You don't have to come up with and be creative. And that's one of the, the core things I think is important when you're doing this learning part. When you're building out these projects, replicate something that already exists that you already know is fun don't try to come up with and design and create something mm-hmm. new that's fun because then you're spending a lot of your brain power and energy on the designing and coming up with the fun part. And a lot of that time is, is built around that instead of just the, how do I actually accomplish this right. specific task? If you know, like I want, you know, I want to recreate this exact game, keep it a game. Mm-hmm. I'd start with a game that has one mechanic, then go up to one that maybe has two mechanics, and then go up to three. Don't right. start with Clash of Clans. You know, start with something super simple, um, and then you just copy it and build up, and then copy mm-hmm. the next one and build up. You also have a very easy done point, so you can just mark it off and be like, okay, I copied it. It's finished. I can now move on. You don't have to go like, oh, mm-hmm. it could be a little bit better. Oh, it could be more fun, which is what happens when you start designing your own thing. You get into that mindset of like, oh, I could just add one more thing and one more thing. But if you're just copying something, it's easy to go, okay, that that was a fun copy. Let's move on to the next one. Right. Now, um, the course that I've I've only barely started, like I installed Unity and I just barely kind of started poking it, Um, you know, just because I was sick last week and I I think I picked it up the week before. But um, I was kind of browsing through the course and it looks like you walk somebody through actually building a game. Right. And so it looks like this, this advice kind of holds, except I've, I've got your videos and tutorials and stuff like that to kind of hold my hand through a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. This is a very guided process of kind of getting through all of the steps of building a game. Cause it's easy to find, I think a lot of tutorials on building a a small game out there. There, There's Mm -hmm. tons of those for building something like Flappy Bird. I think I've done that like five or six times as a tutorial video. Right. But when it comes to building bigger stuff, there's not a lot and there's a lot that kind of goes into it. So in this course, it's focused on building a 2d platformer, where you start off with relatively simple setup and simple graphics using some of the older systems to show that they exist and kind of how things are used in a lot of the tutorials that you see, and then showing how we use it or do things in a lot of the newer systems. So quickly go up to 
the, the latest versions of the, for instance, like the input system has totally been replaced. But if you jump into Unity right now, the default is still the old one. So a lot right. of the things that you'll find are on the old one. So dive into how to use the, the new one, how to get into multiplayer setups and multiplayer mm-hmm. that use things like the PlayStation controllers and Xbox controllers. It's actually not too difficult. It's a relatively simple setup if you know where all of these things exist. So yeah, in the course, you go through all of the fundamentals of building a multiplayer platformer, mm-hmm. including building bosses, um, AI battles, some cutscenes, oh, nice. level saving, transitions, and all of that kind of stuff uh, along with a couple things that were requested from students that been added in there as well there's a lot there but at the end of it you should have a really strong understanding of how to build a uh, at least a 2d platformer game we don't dive into 3d in that one but Mm -hmm. the switch to 3d is extremely simple you just switch the uh the camera mode literally switch the camera mode and start using 3d models instead of 2d stuff it's very very easy there's uh almost no there's pretty much no code difference uh, well you have to remove the 2D from some method calls. Use on collision enter instead of on collision enter 2D. So, <laughs> but overall, it, it's very easy, and I find that it's a little bit easier to teach people in 2D because they can come up with cool, fun puzzles in 2D. And there's a lot of right. opportunity for that. It's easier to make a, a fun 2D thing out of a platform mm-hmm. than it is out of a, a 3D game. So it gives them a good opportunity to play with designing levels and creating stuff and mm-hmm. adding in their own bosses as well. Yeah, my son, so his games, the games that he wants to kind of replicate and tell his own stories on, it's like uh, Undertale, um, stuff like that, right? So he's he's gotten way into those. And so, and he actually wants to replicate kind of the, the style and mystique of kind of the pixelated uh, 2D artwork and stuff like that, right? And so, yeah. um, and, and he's like drawn it out how he wants it and stuff. And so... Yeah, I mean that that's definitely a place to start and I think it's kind of funny too because I remember when I was a kid that was all we really had, right? Was, you know, it it, it might have been side scroll or it might have been, you know, kind of moving around a larger world like Legend of Zelda. But um, you know, at the end of the day it was you know, that's kind of what we had and so when we had the 3D, you know, moving through space with your with your person, right? You know, uh, it was like, wow, these games are so realistic, right? And I think <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that some of these games have gone back to that older style and, you know, a lot of these kids really get into them. And so, yeah, it seems like kind of the sky's the limit, you know, depending on what style you want to go for and, and, and where you want to go at. And so, yeah, I think, I think 2D is a great place to start and then kind of go from there. Yeah, I think a lot of people have just huge success just making 2D games. Too, oh, yeah. So. I mean, you don't need to have a giant art team and, a, you know, a bunch mm-hmm. of 3D modelers and level designers making something huge and, and crazy to have a big successful game. You can build something that's relatively small, again, in 2D or 3D, and it's very easy to also combine and mix and match mm-hmm. them. A lot of the time you'll see games that look 2D, they're actually kind of built in 3D, but they're just showing a 2D object floating around in 3d space which is mm-hmm. again a really simple thing to do just the camera option you switch the camera mode and you're done right yeah it's also seems like because um, you know again i'm going to go back to starcraft just because i've played a zillion hours of it right i mean it's it's functionally a 2d game right you know i guess you have flying units but they still move on a 2d map you yeah. know and then and then there are rules about what can shoot what and stuff like that um, but a lot of the animation looks 3D, right? And so, 
it, it seems like you can mix and match a lot of it. Yeah, and you can fake a lot of that too, especially with like the older games. They would fake yeah. that a lot for performance. It would make it look 3D when it was completely 2D. 2D. Just to, right. yeah, just because it was so much faster. Yeah. yeah now the, the it's animation. Also, yeah. Yeah. It's very easy to get into 3D stuff too. So anybody who's interested in like, oh, I really want to do 3D things, it's not difficult to switch at all. I mean, when I say it's right. not difficult, I mean, it's not at all. Um, one of the courses that I have actually goes like, from a simple 2d project right into multiple different 3d projects and teaches how to do that. Cause it's, it's that easy to build like a hack and slash mm-hmm. style game or a first person shooter. There's really not a lot to it. There's the differences. I don't even know that I would say it's harder. I'd say that it, it's almost easier to build something like a first person shooter. Mm-hmm. It's just harder to build one. That's fun. <laughs> like, right. It's harder. It's harder to make it fun and, and, and interesting that that's kind of the more difficult, yeah. but the, the core of building out a first person shooter is relatively simple compared to even building out a, a fun 2d platformer. Right. Well, it's that, piece of it strikes me a little bit like the game balance that I find with board games. And I play a ton of board games. Uh, People who listen to the podcast are like, yeah, he picks a board game like every week and it's a different (laughs) one every week, right? It's like, oh, what board game is he playing this week? Well, I'll tell you. So, um, but what's interesting about it is, yeah, some of the games that I play, yeah, the balance is just not quite right. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, you know, you'll, you'll have overpowered options in the game or, um, you know, if you really know the game well, you're always going to win, right? And so you want it you want it balanced so that there are many ways to win or many ways to get done what you want to get done, you know, or the other one is, is everybody has to take the same path and you effectively make that, you know, something that everybody can work through. And so it's the same with video games, whether it's one player or many players in the sense that, like, initially it seems like a lot of the games I play, you know, you're just kind of grinding easier levels but there's some incentive for you to do that but after a while it gets hard and then and then it's the different kind of challenge that draws you in and so yeah but but that's more i think you play test it you get other people to play test it and things like that as opposed to hey how do i program this well the programming is probably pretty straightforward yeah the that's always the hard part for me finding the the fun in it and actually making Mm -hmm. it fun and interesting coding it i always say is the easy part because i feel like for me it's the easy part and just making right. the, the code and making the computer do the thing that i told it to do just by saying like oh it's supposed to do these instructions and then it'll do it i just copy those instructions in, and then eventually they become part of my memory and i type them in and now i don't even do that now i just give it the variable name and you know, the AI kind of auto completes it for me as I start typing. Oh, wow. yeah, GitHub Copilot just goes in there and kind of auto completes, yeah, 80% of my work anyway. <laughs> so I just have to nice. remember my variable names now. So yeah, it's it's pretty easy. But making it fun, I feel that that is a mm-hmm. totally separate task. And it's also a very separate job. It's generally a game designer job. Mm-hmm. That, um, but when you're an indie developer that's solo, then you have to do both of you're those both. jobs too. Yep. So you've got to kind of think if you want to get into the game industry and you just want to do design, it's certainly an option. That's definitely like yeah. one of the key jobs there. It doesn't pay as well as the programming and the engineering side, but it's it's a fun fun job and it's very, very important to, to have in there. To, otherwise your right. game ends up looking awesome the code runs great and the game is boring and not fun and nobody cares right so speaking of design i I guess there are two aspects to that right one of them is 
kind of what we're talking about with, you know, striking the right balance and, you know, having the right mechanics in the right place and stuff like that. One of one of the things that uh, that I ran into for a long time, too, was the kind of artwork part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Where I, you know, I was going, look, you know, I mean, I can't even draw a stick figure. Right. So, um, right. H- how am I going to get artwork that looks good? I mean, the podcast artwork, I pay for that. Right. Because there's just no way, you know, it's just not my skill set. Um, and so if, yeah, if I'm not an, an artwork person, if I'm not a, you know, make it all pretty and, and make it look right person, how, how do I work through that? Well, I am also not an art person. My, my art skills are really, really, really bad. I'm looking around at the, the little bit of drawing that I've done. Uh, and I had one of the same concerns and I used to worry that like I needed to find an artist and stuff, but I right. found that for most things that I want to do, I can find the art for way cheaper or free online, either through different websites or through things like the unity asset store. They have a huge selection of free stuff and then like a just giant selection of art and other types of assets as as well. There's some really interesting like tooling and things that you can Mm -hmm. add in, but there's a ton of art and cool effects, particle effects, characters, vehicles, all that kind of stuff that you can grab. And it's like, when I say cheap, it's relative to hiring an actual artist to do it, but right. they're insanely cheap compared to an artist. They're, you know, you're looking at like a hundredth mm-hmm. of the cost of having somebody make this stuff yourself. You just go on there, especially if you grab a, a good deal on one of the packs. They have packs constantly. Mm-hmm. Humble Bundle also has packs on stuff. It's really easy. One of the things that I find a lot of people do when they start getting into game development, though, is they'll just grab tons and tons of these packs they'll start to find all the things that are on sale like you know they get 30 assets for 30 bucks or something crazy and they're like oh go grab that and go grab that and they end up with a huge huge uh bundle of things that kind of drive their game development for the next year i gotcha (laughs) no that makes sense i mean yeah it's what i do it's what i did and what everybody i know is that it's really really hard to resist the urge because you go like oh look at that i can get 20 new spaceships for only 30 bucks like those spaceships mm-hmm. are awesome i'm gonna build a spaceship game now can right. you go do that but it's a it's a lot of fun too and it gets around the problem of not having art now when you come to like building out your your final professional game you're probably going to want to have some custom art done for at least like your main characters. Some, right. some people want to do it for everything, but a lot of times it's just a little bit cost ineffective. And sometimes depending on the game, it may not make sense. If it's just a, right. a bunch of rocks and it's space stuff and all that, like having custom ones that have never been anywhere else doesn't really matter because nobody's going to know the difference, but for their main characters and things like that, a lot of time people will have that custom done. And for those, you can still have them done at a, I would say a reasonable price on places like Fiverr and Upwork. And you're looking at, you know, anywhere from sub a hundred dollars to a couple hundred dollars for a reasonable character or vehicle or something like that. That's right. custom to exactly what you want and animated up and does all the stuff. But for all the other things where, I mean, we're talking, you know, you're looking at maybe 20, $10 per thing. Um, some of the things slightly more expensive, but you get bundles and get sales and get stuff yep. really, really cheap and get a ton of it. Cause yeah, I, I was I'm a terrible ask. artist. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I was going to ask about that too. And you kind of answered it was, well, won't your game look like everyone else's game? And yeah, it sounds like your primary elements where, you know, you really focus on, yeah, a character or a vehicle or a whatever, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that it makes sense then that you could 
right? You could have those parts custom made and then, yeah, I mean, a Starfield's a Starfield's a Starfield, right? And I don't know. Right. In a building. A lot of the time, what makes things look different too, isn't so much the art, it's the post-processing effects afterwards. So if you look at something like Borderlands, look at that game without the post-processing on the assets look totally different, right? And it's the same, you add post-process effects to any game and it's going to change the way that things look. And then you want to do a little bit of modification to make them all kind of look good together if you can, Mm -hmm. or have an artist or designer friend do it, which is usually what I do. I'm like, hey, I know some artists and some designers. Hey, I'll just call them up. Can you take a look at this, uh, tell me how to fix it or maybe fix it for me. <laughs> and, and a lot right. of the time they're, they're really quick with it and they know they know the differences or the, the things that will make it look really nice, um, especially the artists that got that, that eye for it. Like, it just needs purple here. Like, oh, never mm-hmm. would have thought of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it it feels and sounds totally doable. I'm looking forward to to putting together some games. Um, I'm just going to tell people right now, it looks like we're probably going to do the calls on Thursday mornings. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to be doing them at, uh, I got to look at my calendar cause I can't remember if I was doing it at nine or 10. Uh, I think I'm doing it at 9am mountain time. So that's 8am Pacific. It's going to be 11am, um, Eastern time. Uh, the reason I've been doing it in the morning is cause it seems like about half the people that want to join any of the things I'm doing are in Europe. And if I do it past about 10 or 11 my time, it just starts getting into the evening for them. And so, yeah, so we're going to do it 9 a.m. Mountain Time. Um, I'm going to do the first one starting next week. This this is going to come out um, basically on the, I think, on the 18th of, of April. So we're looking at the week after we're going to be doing that. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do the first uh, meetup and... Um, I mean, we're just going to talk, right? I mean, I, I won't have an agenda. It's going to be, hey, this is how far I've gotten in the course. How far have you gotten? What are you struggling with? Here's what I'm struggling with. We'll help each other through. I mean, that's what it's going to look like. Because, yeah, I'm I'm not the genius expert at this stuff. Um, I'm learning just like you are. But, uh, yeah, Jason, if people want to pick up the course and follow along, I mean, w- what are we looking at there? Yeah, uh, well, all you've got to do is go register at the site. It's on game.courses, and I'll, I'll give you the link with that code. But w- yeah, I think that your part about having the group to talk to is extremely important. It's one of the core things that I've seen successful developers in games mm-hmm. and outside of games do all of the time. And um, it's one of the reasons that I put together a bunch of matchmaking in the past. I, I found that getting developers together means that they keep going with stuff they get past their problems really quickly and they, they don't end up stuck they end up mm-hmm. actually building and releasing games so we're doing uh some i'm doing some own some of my own like mastermind matchmaking stuff that i think is is just ended but we're also I, I just wanted to really quickly mention having the game dev guild conference coming up in may i know i'm planning on going to it yeah good i'm excited dude. lots yeah. of stuff <laughs> Yeah, I think that'll be fun. It's a it's a good time to meet other developers too and kind of talk through your game dev process and mm-hmm. get a, also get a bunch of cool free stuff. We got like a ridiculous amount of freebies that Andreas was able to put together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that'll be cool. But overall, yeah, I mean, you just register, start going through the coursework. It's setups now so that you can go through kind of at your own pace as fast as you want, taking the quizzes. There are a lot of quizzes along the way to just test your knowledge, make sure that you're actually understanding things um, that you're not just kind of skipping through and and missing things, but also to point out things that are a little bit um, odd. So a couple of semi tricky questions in there. So get it and then 
perhaps get it wrong the first time and have mm-hmm. a good explanation of why to go through all those and then um, get certification at the end. It's the process. Oh, nice. There's also a discord server where people are pretty active with chat. And then people also just constantly email me with questions. So I find that it's the easiest way to, to get any support. Just send me an mm-hmm. email. Let me know what you're running into, what questions you have, what you're unsure about, or just kind of curious about. And I try to get back to those almost right away. Right. So um, I, I just want to clarify a couple of things. First off, uh, for the course, you said game.courses. I think you gave me a link and a coupon code. If I remember, the coupon code was JavaScript5. Sounds it, right. And it was for 20% off, I think, on the course. I believe so. All right. So I'm I'm just going to put that out there. I'm giving away Jason's money. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> um uh, I don't know if I got any kind of uh, link or anything for the Game Dev Guild, and I was going to ask about that. Is is there a way that people can get tickets to that? Sure. So either at gamedevguild.com, or, or I'm also going to put together a bundle for the course and conference pass. So if you happen to grab that before May 1st, you'll be able to get that at the game.courses site as well. Okay. And, and, same and use coupon that coupon code. code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely use the coupon code. All right. Um, and just uh, the other thing I wanted to clarify. So Game Dev Guild is completely online. Yes. So Completely online with an online expo hall, though. So it feels a lot like being in person. You can watch all the sessions. It's kind of nice. You watch all the sessions on one side, and then you can be in, you know, in your other window running around chatting with everybody in the expo hall when the session part gets to something that you're not really interested in run over and have a little conversation and it's very easy to duck out of the conversations too. You can just turn your camera off. Hey, got to go. Be right back. You don't have to slowly creep away from the the chat or anything. And there's (laughs) a lot of conversations going on. So it's, it's fun. You can see where people are chatting. You can walk up. You don't have to have your camera on or your mic on, but you can walk up, have a chat with people, join in on the conversation or just kind of listen in, see if it's something you're interested in and move on to the next chat. If there are lots of like big groups and clusters of people having fun conversations and talking about different stuff. Um, even some of the sponsor booths that are there, they just get loaded up with people that are really interested in the things that they've, they've got, like, like the Odin one, especially it's a super popular mm-hmm. unity tool. Everybody was like, crowding, crowding the, the Odin booth and unity is going to have two booths at this conference. So I expect that their booths will be pretty packed too, because they've got all the insider info. If you want to go ask them stuff that you can't normally get a hold of them and ask them, that's a good chance. Yeah. So you said that there were giveaway or uh, bonuses or stuff that you got as part of the ticket to the conference, right? It's not just, I get to show up and listen to talks. What else do you get? Yeah, there was a couple thousand dollars worth of assets and um, free licenses, JetBrains Rider license, uh, Odin license, Unity Pro license. Um, oh, wow. A, a ridiculous number of assets, free art, um, cool art packs that uh, there, I, there's a big list of them on the page. I, I don't think I can even remember them all. There were, oh man, there's a, a hot reload one. There's there's a lot of stuff. There's <laughs> <laughs> it added up to a couple thousand dollars in bonuses. My goal with it was that I really wanted the bonuses to feel somewhat like Microsoft build. I mean, can't give everybody a new console that hasn't been released yet, but you know, at least give them lots and lots of assets and game dev related right. things that they can actually use right away that are way more than the value of the, the ticket price as well. So that's like a extra, Hey, I don't know. I always like going to conferences like that. It was always like one of my favorite things. Like, yeah, I want to go to this conference where I'm going to get a bunch of free stuff too. It's awesome. 
get to talk to people and get free things. So, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, we'll put links in the show notes. Make it real easy for people to go if they want to get the bundle with the the game dev guild, or if they just want to take the course. Um, you know, um, if you go to topendevs.com slash workshops, it'll show you when those meetings are, um, and tell you how to join. And yeah, we'll just make it real easy for people to get in and, and, uh, be part of the, part of the action. But, um, I'll tell you, this is something, the more I talk about it, the more excited I am to do it. Um, right. I mean, I, I think it'd be really fun to just, you know, get some, some fun games out there, um, and see how it all comes together. Maybe I've some got dev focused ones too. One more thing I want to ask you and, and everybody else too. Do you think you're going to be able to resist the urge to start building business apps in Unity once you realize that you can do that as well and just how easy it is? Because you can suddenly build like augmented reality, virtual reality, or 3D animated stuff, cool touchscreen things, um, interactive displays. Uh, my buddy did like the Super Bowl displays that they had you know, at the actual Super Bowl, all in Unity. And I feel like a lot of the time when people start get building games, they get in and they're like, oh, I'm building these games. Then I had an idea for work and now I'm using Unity at work. And then they, they, they kind of make that switch over to do the enterprise stuff too, which is like a probably, I don't know the exact percent, but I would guess around like a quarter of the, the Unity development. To, do you think that that's a, a risk or a possibility? I mean, I think it's also a really good reason to, to learn it, but mm-hmm. I'm just curious. You know, I hadn't really thought much about that. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense in a couple of ways. One is, as you mentioned, like all the Super Bowl stuff and things like that. I, I didn't know they'd done it in Unity, but I mean, you know, the the math works out, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what it does. So yeah. I, I don't see why you wouldn't use Unity or, you know, some other tool like it to do it. Um, I mean, I, I could kind of see my way to that, you know, where, um, you know, you could build some kind of dash, dashboard or you know, some other business experience or something like that. Do you um, like museum it, interactive displays? There's really mm-hmm. good use for it because you get nice visual effects and super fast right. responsiveness. Um, and it's well, brain dead easy too. <laughs> and I, I don't want to commit to this, but the one thing that I've been flirting with for a while is doing something around computing history. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you, you mentioned the, the virtual museum. And yeah, it would be interesting, right, to have people people be able to go in and um, virtually interact with like a Turing machine, or you know, uh, you know, get into some of the other you know historical computing things, you know, where you could actually interact with a you know a computer as big as a room and try and you know even make make it so that you know you're doing some of the programming style stuff to program like you saw in hidden figures right where they were trying to figure out how to get them on the moon right and so you know it you know you, you get in and you start making it do math yeah and start having fun with it right you can also solve just a ton of business problems like yeah seen, i could uh, see a dashboard or yeah well and it, when you get into the virtual and augmented reality stuff especially in the uh, enterprise side and engineering like the mechanical engineering they're starting to really pull in a lot of that stuff to visualize and speed yeah, up you can see how things move. Yeah. Or, yeah. or how, how to together. assemble things. I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about. So I got to be careful, but no, lots, it's of fine. Different, lots of different stuff. And I'm actually um, going to play with that Android auto thing later on today in there. So I can yeah. put something into my car. Well, and that's, 
that's another one. I mean, you mentioned putting something into your car and I've, I've done all kinds of repairs on my car just cause it, for me, it's relaxing. In fact, I'm wearing this nice Ruby rogues sweatshirt. And I, if I, I don't know if I can scoot back or stand up, but I've got these, uh, I've worked on my car in this one, so you can see the stains on my <laughs> from the 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 grease from my uh, four wheel drive on my truck. But uh, anyway, um, what's interesting there is, yeah, I mean, you could right. I, I go on YouTube all the time and watch how do I fix this aspect of my car, right? And I watch them basically pull all the pieces off. And sometimes you don't re really get a great view with the camera, right? So you go watch <laughs> another video or, you know, you get in and pull it apart and it's like, oh, that's what it, you know, that's what I'm dealing with. And yeah, I can imagine that would be really handy, right? Is it's, hey, you know, this comes apart like this, right? And you can actually, you know, you can turn it or move around it or things like that. They or actually just showed... see it overlaid in real, in yeah. real time right? from your glasses and it'll look down yeah. there and it shows the part, shows it coming out virtually how, how it would yeah. come out. Um, anyway, it's going to happen eventually. It's just a matter of yeah. time and you know, who, who figures it out first. But with all the new AI advancements in the last few months, I don't expect it's going to be too long because they're going to have that object yeah. detection has gotten drastically better. It's going to be really mm -hmm. easy to do those things. And then it's just a matter of visualizing them. And then doing that in Unity is a matter of dropping in the object. And like it, it's it's yeah. insanely simple. You don't You don't have to do anything to to render and show all that stuff with, with yeah. augmented reality and virtual reality, you, you literally well, drop an object and then it just works. And I remember, so we used to go to Microsoft build and Microsoft ignite for the podcast. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they had their, what do they call their headset? I can't even remember the HoloLens. Yeah. HoloLens, yeah. yeah. And so, um, anyway, uh, they were always demoing that. Right. And so they had, hey, this is how we set up virtual meetings in a virtual space. And here's how we um, we would use it to teach a course. So the whole class has HoloLens on. And then I do the anatomical overlays for an anatomy class, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there's something for the hand to the hands-on, you know, dissection. But at the same time, you can show people what they're actually going to see when they do the dissection. You can show them you know, how the human body works and how it goes together. And yeah, some of that stuff. And then, yeah, you know, getting it to the point where I can look at my own knee or my own hand and it can automate that stuff as an overlay on, on me. Right. Or on the person yeah. next to me. Um, anyway. Yeah. And sooner it'll be just in your glasses, automating it for everybody that you see. Yeah. Walk up like, Hey, look at that. Yep. Mr. Wood there. And I can see his bones. Like he's got an implant right there. Yep. <laughs> And be like Iron Man. That's the plan. That's I why I Iron built Man. Cortana. So, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah. The other thing is, is you know, doing it on your phone because you talked about some of the AR stuff, and I think the I don't think people realize often that your phone really is an AR device, right? It it adds <laughs> something. You know, a lot. It doesn't even have to use your camera, right? It can detect things around you and then give you feedback, right? And so, um, yeah. I mean, all of that going into it right so you could point the camera like you said at your car right you don't have to have a an oculus or whatever and, and look at it you can just point your yeah, just, camera you can at point it. your phone at it if you happen to have the cool glasses the the samsung glasses or the eyeglasses or whatever they mm -hmm. are then yeah i would assume it would show up in there too but yeah, yeah probably but it just show up on your screen <laughs> yeah yeah Yep. And once it knows it's there, then it can use the accelerometer to say okay now you're pointing so many degrees away from it and so we're going to show you this piece right yeah 
Yeah, I think it, it's, cool. the the tech is advancing fast. It's very exciting, but yeah, it's also very easy to get into because the tooling is just making it simpler and simpler. Well, the other thing that occurs to me is that like a lot of the stuff that they did on the Super Bowl and things like that, um, it's not nearly as involved as I've got all these eight zillion pieces of the app running through and around and you know whatever each other right and so a lot, a lot of the of business the apps it seems like it's pretty simple stuff right it's hey i'm going to give this kind of a readout it's going to look like this i ha- may have to detect a handful of things and then i'm going to give this kind of feedback on it and you know you're good to go yeah, I feel like the business application side of Unity is actually easier and there's more money in it. <laughs> yeah. Like that enterprise side, there's more money there and the um, the problems that you're solving are generally easier. And they're almost always easier because they're, they're single-threaded and single-user. Mm-hmm. Like generally right. with web and enterprise stuff, you've got, it's the multi-user, multi-threaded problem that makes it complicated where it starts to scale up. And with these, it's almost always like you're running on a single device that's got dedicated hardware for running it, um, and you don't have to worry about that. It's like it gets much, much simpler, I think, mm-hmm. uh, cool. and more well, exciting yeah. too, and flashy. <laughs> well, and I hadn't even thought about doing like VR and AR. I was just thinking games on my phone and my computer, but uh, it, it's that sounds like a lot of fun. So yeah, it, it definitely is. Cool. Well, um, I'm just going to kind of uh, bring us back in. Um, we'll have links in the show notes. It's games, game.courses, right? Correct. And GameDevGuild. Uh, yep. GameDevGuild.com. And so, yeah, if you want to get the... Uh, I mean, that's what I'm planning on doing is I'm just going to, you know, make sure I have a ticket to to the conference, make sure I have access to the, the course. I already have access to the course. Um, but, yeah. Um, if you all, if you all want to hang out at the conference, that's awesome. If you want to come to the, the meetup on Thursdays, great. Right. Uh, I'm just looking for people to kind of go through this journey with and, um, you know, learn from each other. So yeah, the, go to those places, sign up for those things. If you let me know, then I'll make sure to keep an eye out for you at the game dev guild. And, uh, if you sign up for the course, then let me know. And, you know, I'll make sure that I email you and let you know exactly when that, meetup is if you you know for whatever reason can't figure it out on the website so i have to make you a little uh, couch or booth or something for the uh the event too everybody can come find you at, oh, on that'd the be fun. floor yeah yeah a little podcast recording booth and shove everybody right. in. <laughs> yeah. pretty cool yeah or we'll theme right. it up as one yeah <laughs> yeah well thanks for jumping on jason i really appreciate it well, thanks for having me all right folks we're gonna wrap it up here until next time max out